0: Good morning. Good morning to you here in this building, but good morning to you who are at home. We do understand that many of you are there right now, um, just keeping safe, keeping your loved ones safe, and and even those that are suffering today because, because of sickness. We welcome you today. By the way, my
1: name's Gail. (laughs) And I'm Amanda, Um, and if this is your first time today, we welcome you here. I see a lot of regular faces, maybe a couple new faces, so welcome here. We'd like to get to know you better, um, so you online can give us a shout out at hello at cedarvalley.ca. And if you're here, you can just comment, um, make a chat with somebody in the lobby here with a a lanyard, and we'll get to know you there that way.
0: Mm -hmm. And we also have a way to uh, stay connected Um, online and you can also go there to cedarvalley.ca and uh, you can find ways to uh, donate uh, financially support the church and its ministries and you may also sign up for a newsletter at cedarvalley.ca
1: all right so we have some events coming up this coming saturday january 29th at 6 15 in the evening we are hosting a watch party so every year village church does a women's conference and um, it's online again this year so they're having different groups have watch parties throughout the valley so yeah we would love to have you come here um it's free anybody 14 and older it's for people like younger People like Gail.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, and people even 90. Um, I d- just want to throw that in here. It's mom, my mom, Wanda Pankratz's 90th birthday this week. And just if you have a chance to just celebrate her. You know, what, what impresses me, conferences like this do help us move forward, but Um, Mom and I have so many discussions, and even at 90, she is open to learning more. And there's no age to just inviting God to teach you more. And so this conference would be one of those ways. Yes, and you can find more about it online on any of our social
1: media sites or our website. And if you have any direct questions, Leslie or I can help you out with that. Leslie.
0: And this place here needs uh, a cleanup. So we are inviting you, whoever can make it, please, 10 o'clock, Saturday morning, and help put things away. It'll take a crew, and we invite you to join us then, so whoever can, uh, there's some heavy lifting to do, there's some just organizing to do, so I'm sure there's a job for whomever can make it. Yeah, working together
1: always makes things more fun and goes a lot faster. All right, we're gonna get the service started here this morning. Uh, We're gonna be led in a time of worship. Uh, There'll be lyrics here on the screen and we invite you to worship with us um, in praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: Mm -hmm. And we do have a video lesson for the kids. And if you're joining us online, be sure to check out YouTube page for the full feature kids video. And uh, here, if you're on campus, uh, we don't have kids downstairs this morning, so you're welcome to get some uh, pages to um, keep you busy. And also listen to the service, because as a kid, I did that, and we learned, even when we were very young.
1: Yes, that's good advice. All right, and then after our worship time, we're gonna have a message from Pastor Grant in our series on the Book of Galatians, Jesus plus nothing. This morning we're looking at Paul's warning about counterfeit gospels. And Gail and I were chatting and we were wondering what would a counterfeit gospel look like for us today?
0: And I've only had a few minutes to think about it, but um, really any, any media you read, any, any um, books even, um, they might be Christian books, but if it's contrary to the Bible, then it's counterfeit. So if it can be backed up by scripture, then, you know, then you're good to go, so be aware of that. So even good reading um, can, can be unhealthy if uh, it takes you away from what's true. Yes, that's so important.
1: I heard um, a professor say, we're almost in a dark ages again because there's so much information out there. It's hard to know what's true. But we know if we read the Bible that that is God's word of truth. And if we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate that to us, he'll guide us in that truth. He promises to do that. Yeah.
2: And down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting God so loved
0: of worship and just with our hearts, Um, it was just actually heartwarming to walk in here this morning and see a group of people, probably 10, 12 people, already bathing this service in prayer. And um, that's really amazing. And that's what we should be doing all the time. So bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We adore you and we acknowledge that you are God. This morning, I want to bring a a few people that were brought to our attention. Lord, I want you to bless the people that issued these prayer requests because in doing that, they are already um, believing that you can uh, touch the lives of their loved ones, of their friends. So today, Lord, we uh, do pray for Harry and Gladys. Huber, and all the uh, struggles that they are going through right now. Harry been in the hospital for a couple of weeks now and, and just what their future holds and for their family and for Don and Eleanor Lobb, Lord. Uh, them, after 73 years being together, they are now having to be separate. Um, Don being sent to a, a home in Aldergrove, away from Eleanor. Lord, these and many others we lift before you and we ask for your comforting hand in their lives, but in the lives of those who um, love them, Lord. So we thank you for for your gifts and uh, for your blessing. And I just pray that uh, as Grant comes before us and presents your Word, Amen.
3: The Bible. Chapter 12, verse 18. King Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived, and like any parent, he wanted to pass that wisdom down to his children. So he collected many wise sayings that were later written down in the book of Proverbs.
2: My son, listen to your father's advice. Don't turn away from your mother's teaching. What they teach you will be like a beautiful crown on your head.
3: Solomon's children were royalty, but Solomon was more concerned with the choices they would make than whatever royal robe or crown they would wear.
2: My son, accept my words. Store up my commands inside you. Let your ears listen to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding.
3: There are hundreds of wise sayings in Proverbs, and a lot of them mention the same thing over and over and over, your words. Yep, you remember that old saying?
1: Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me.
3: Not true. What comes out of your mouth is strong and powerful. Words can end a friendship. It can make people believe a lie. It can make people lose their trust in you. Here's what King Solomon had to say about it. The words of thoughtless people cut like swords, but the tongue of wise people brings healing. This is my double sword, commonly known as, yeah, scissors. Now, you might think that one tiny little comment might not really hurt anyone.
0: That was a dumb thing to do. Can't you get anything right?
2: Sorry, you can't sit here. Did you even look in the mirror? Cry, baby.
3: No big deal, right? I mean, it's not like any of these little cuts did any real damage. But deep down inside, none of us are just one layer. We're way more complicated than a single sheet of paper. Our stories have a bunch of different layers. So when you say... Just get over it. Your words might cut way deeper than you ever imagined. Ouch! But there is a way to keep your words from slicing deep like this. Think before you speak. Take a few seconds. Use your imagination. Maybe you feel like saying, You're a loser, so you'll never hear me say you're good enough. Stop. Ask yourself,
1: How would I feel if someone said this to me? Would it hurt?
3: If the answer is yes, keep your mouth shut.
1: Or better yet, change those words. You're good enough, so you'll never hear me say you're a loser.
3: Your words can encourage and comfort. They can speak truth and bring wisdom.
0: Hey, can I help? I'm really sorry you're having a rough day. I want you on my team. I love the way you always pick bright colors.
3: You're really brave. Your words are so strong, they can make someone's day and help heal some pretty deep cuts. In fact, your words are one of the very best ways to fulfill the mission Jesus gave us. Love one another just as I have loved you. If you love one another, everyone will know you are my disciples. Your words are your superpower. So before you let a single word out of that mouth today, ask yourself,
1: is it gonna hurt or is it gonna help?
3: Like Solomon reminds us, the words of thoughtless people cut like swords, but the tongue of wise people brings healing.
4: All right. Good morning, Cedar Valley. Welcome here. Uh, I want to start off just by repeating something I talked about last week, and it's going to be on repeat, because this is super important for us as a church. Um, See, we've been going through, uh, we've had a season of transition, rebuilding. We had Pastor Rob come along and help us revision and refocus and now we're on the next steps of moving forward as a church of embracing a new vision taking new steps to reach our community here this town the city mission with the gospel and so that's taking you know a lot of transition a lot of changes here one thing that we have to do is not let our kids ministries be a casualty in this time for that see it's our core conviction as a church that our job as a community as a church is to raise and guide our kids, and not just our kids, but kids in our community, kids beyond, towards the love and truth of the gospel, towards Jesus. And that's, that's not just us saying that because we thought kids are awesome and kids' programs are fun. Uh, Mark chapter 9, Matthew chapter 18, straight out of the words of Jesus himself, this is important for us. And there's also a very Uh, a tangible effect that we're experiencing here as a church too. And and lots of churches, lots of organizations see uh, there's a trickle-down effect. What's been happening for several months now, we haven't had a supervised and fully staffed nursery. And so then what happens, we have a lot of young families with very young kids, babies, toddlers, who aren't able to come to church or not able to come to church well, because when they do, it's a full-time position, just surviving that outing right? That's what my wife has to do the majority of the time now when we're coming here to church. Uh, And even if they are able to come, or even with older kids too, it takes a lot of supervision stuff. So it's honestly a lot easier to stay at home because we have an online service like this. But now what that is doing is keeping away. We have less adults who are talented and passionate, able to get involved in stuff like our worship ministries. So they're suffering, and our tech and media uh, ministries are suffering. We're not going to be able to get online quite as well. That's how we're able to connect constantly throughout all of this. Our host and greeting team starts to suffer. Our coffee suffers, right? And then the volunteers who are here, they start to burn out. They get stretched way too thin. And so eventually we don't have music happening, and we don't have the ability to get online, and we don't have coffee anymore. And then you're stuck with me without music and without coffee, I don't want that. You don't want that either. But this is really important. Like this has a huge impact. So Cedar Valley, last week I made a call to action for you to get involved. If you're sitting here on campus, you have the ability to answer that call. If you are joining us online, you have that ability to answer that call because there's even some online-only specific ministries. We want to be able to do ministries online to kids as well. Don't think of this as something. I know when there's announcements up front like this, it's so easy to think, oh, somebody's going to do that. Somebody else is going to do it, right? Like the stat of how many people drive by a car crash without uh, thinking that somebody else has called 911. I do want to say thank you for those who did sign up last week. Fantastic. We did get some new recruits. There's still a lot of room to make this a healthy and thriving ministry, though. Um... And don't take this as a thing, like, here's one response I've heard, and I I actually got to call this out specifically, um, a response of saying, well, let the parents do that, right? If if you got a kid, like, you should be doing that. The heart of that statement is take care of your own problems, your own needs, right? I don't need to do that. I want to share with you what happens a lot of times with church plants that grow and dig into the community, get successful, actually specifically a church plant. uh, Somebody was telling me the church I was born at grew out of... um, Not very many young families in it, but they decided that they needed to reach a community around them with a lot of young families. So they fully staffed a nursery, fully staffed a kids program with no kids or one kid, maybe. But the point was it wasn't for their own needs. They wanted to serve the needs of the community that they were trying to reach with the gospel message. So that when people came to church, adults, kids, babies, seniors, grandparents, whatever it was, that everybody had ministry provided for them. Everybody had a place to go, something to do. So you don't need to be a professional to get involved in this. You just need to have a passion and a willingness, honestly a desire to see our youngest generation grow and thrive and see what God's plan is for them. You get to be part of that. It's not something you do solo either. Um, We equip you. You work in partners or bigger teams, depending how it is. It's a place where you are set up to thrive, set up to succeed, and it's honestly a lot of fun. Our kids' ministries, whether it's the nursery, whether it's downstairs with our kids' programs, because at the end of the day, we want to be a vibrant and thriving community with ample room for all people of all ages to come and be poured into by our church, by Cedar Valley Church. So I'm just going to end with this uh, for this section here, and I'm going to be on repeat with this too for a while, because this is really important. Come see me after the service. Come find somebody with a clipboard out in the lobby like this, or you'll see it on the table. Sign up. Just take that step, right, and get it involved, because there is some training that we do have to do because we take safety and success for a kids ministry seriously. So we want to equip you really well for that. All right, so that's kids ministries. Galatians, we are in a series on Galatians, but first I've got some show and tell. I have a $5 bill. I don't really use cash anymore, so it actually took a bit of digging to find this. Uh, I just tap my phone wherever I go. Uh, actually, I would love to eventually get a smartwatch and just tap my watch, right? Live in the future. I'm actually behind. My sister's been doing that for years. I just don't wear watches. $5 bill, though. They have gotten really nice in the last while. They're plastic. You can't tear them. They're waterproof. Believe it or not, I was alive when, and I remember when the bills used to be these like wrinkly paper, kind of monochromatic. I, they were blue-ish. I think they had a Bluebird or a Cardinal or Blue Jay on it, on the $5 bill at least. Um, but our money has constantly gone through upgrades. There's been features added to prevent counterfeiting, to prevent copying and every so many years they have to add features. Like now there's this clear holographic thing on the side and I think there's see-through stuff that you can only see if you hold up to a black light it glows certain things because people are always trying to counterfeit money to gain value out of out of it. Um, There's been some really famous counterfeiters throughout history. Uh, The one that came to my mind right away when I was thinking of it is Frank Abignale Jr. Is that name recall for anyone. They made a movie off of it called Catch Me If You Can, this guy who impersonated a handful of uh, professions, a, a doctor, lawyer, uh, airline, and uh, airline pilot, impersonated all these things, but he also forged checks, made counterfeit checks that he would cash in all over the states and all around the world, and he got millions of dollars for these counterfeits. But actually, a more uh, recent... Uh, Another famous counterfeiter was actually Canadian, so good. We have some of that in our history. Also a Frank, so that name has some baggage, I guess. (laughs) Frank Barossa, he was a Canadian in Montreal who one day decided that he didn't want to work anymore. So he sold his mechanic shop and used that money to invest in some high-end printing equipment and uh, cutting machinery. He sourced out from all around the world high-end materials to make... Uh, the easiest bill to counterfeit the United States twenty dollar bill, and he made a lot of these, and he made really, really good ones, like they were incredibly high quality. He made two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of these twenty dollar bills, and he eventually got caught after he distributed about fifty million dollars worth uh, got caught he was brought in, and he was facing sixty years in prison with uh, no probation and he told the court that he had $200 million extra still stashed away, that this stuff could get into circulation. And they were so uh, legitimate looking, they were such high-quality counterfeits, that the authorities cut a deal saying, okay, if you can get us all that money and we can get it all accounted for, we'll, we'll let you walk free. So he did that, and he ended up only spending six weeks in jail with a few fines. I wonder if he paid cash. High-end counterfeits. There are some really obvious counterfeits in the world. When I was in high school, I went to a. We did a class trip to China. We were in Beijing, and we stopped at this massive street market for one afternoon, and I got a sweet deal on a nice name-brand sweater, uh, Quicksilver sweater. Except for when you read it, it said Quicksilver. But my buddy actually got it even worse. He bought a Rolex for 15 bucks. It. It didn't really tell time. It moved, but it was telling time from some other planet, not Earth. And before the end of the trip, which was only a week long, the minute hand had fallen off. (laughs) Some counterfeits, though, are really convincing, really impressive. You don't really see the issues at first. So Leslie and I... My wife, we have been doing uh, photography, professional photography on the side for uh, a number of years now, lots of weddings, sports, events. We've accumulated a whole bunch of high-end gear and equipment, and one of the pieces of that kit you need is memory cards. So you need a good memory card, high-quality memory card, a dependable name brand. Um, And they're not cheap either, and they're kind of this consumable, you have to have a whole bunch actually, not just one memory card. And so I went online and found a good deal on our favorite brand name memory card that we got. um, The right size, everything, that. And it was was a sweet deal, so I ordered some. And looks very much the same. I don't know if the camera can even get that close. I'll hold it as still as I can. But it's, uh, they both have a shiny holographic label. They're both gold, same stats, same size and shape, right? They both on the back have a little serial number imprinted on it, and they both work they you plugged it in it it did this job but we were shooting a wedding one time and partway through the wedding one of the cards corrupted it just wasn't designed as well see had I known actually apparently what you can do is weigh these on a kitchen scale down to the tenth of a gram the counterfeit cards are fairly common but they're lighter weight because they use a cheaper plastic and that then indicates that it's coming out of a factory that didn't put the same engineering and quality control in place. The insides are cheaper, too. I didn't weigh the cards down to the tenth of a gram, and so during this wedding, we ended up losing all the shots on this one card for the day. which just pretty bad to do at a wedding. Luckily, I, the camera had a backup redundancy system, so that was okay. Um, and now I don't buy my memory cards from wish.com anymore. <laughs> uh, but the goal of counterfeiting isn't to improve on something or to make a competitive product, it's not meant to make a replacement necessarily, it's to make something appear as if it has the same value that it's a viable replacement as of something even though it actually doesn't have anywhere near the worth or value in it. It's a cheap knockoff, it's a replica. It promises the same results but it can't actually deliver on it when tested or cashed in. So, counterfeiting, a counterfeit gospel, that is what Paul is talking about in these next verses in Galatians. We're in the book of Galatians, chapter one, still. Uh, to recap, last week we started off verse one and took a look at the fact that this is a letter written to the churches in Galatia, which would be modern day Turkey. It is written by a man named Paul, who went through a massive conversion experience himself, he used to be called Saul, then became so on fire for Jesus. Uh, he planted all these churches, he planted the church in Galatia the churches in Galatia initially but he started hearing reports and updates about this church that they believed the message that Paul initially brought about Jesus about salvation about all the good news that happened he brought them the gospel they believed that but they were also adding some of their other beliefs around they were kind of trying to sync stuff up and uh, squish stuff up on top of each other especially Previous things that they held to, they were also including that because they knew it so well. They held to these other beliefs, so they put that in, into their life. So Paul's initial point, he started the letter off, was stating that Jesus plus nothing else is the only authority and the only influence we need and the only thing worthy of our attention uh, in our lives. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, we're in Galatians chapter one. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse six. And it'll be up on the screen here or open up a phone app. I'll give you a sec there. So Galatians 1 verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you first, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. No other gospel. What do you make of that? How do you answer this question if I was to ask you, what is the gospel to you? Do you have a quick reply, something that comes to you? This is actually a test because last summer uh, with Pastor Rob, we went through a series about this exact thing. We called it the share series about the gospel. Um, So how much do you remember of that? My guess is that a lot of you would have some different answers. There'd be some variables within your answers. You wouldn't have the exact wording. And that's okay, because let me give you this. In the New Testament alone in the Bible, there's four books that we call the Gospels. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Galatians, uh, 13 other letters. He has 14 letters where he uses different wording about what he calls the Gospel message in each one of them. So there's nothing verbatim. Some of you might have quickly gone to John 3:16 as something to quote about what the gospel is. That's a good answer, actually, for God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But I bet you some of you might have gone to something like Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Uh, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Both good answers, different words, kind of different parts, right? They have the same idea but different. So it's a bit more complicated and now we're trying to figure out, okay, Paul, what are you talking about? What, what are you saying? If there's something else, somebody's preaching, right? They don't have the exact transcript from you. But I like how one author put it, the gospel is clear but not simple. There shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all statement because we are not a one-size-fits-all humanity, nor do we have a one-size-fits-all God. So let me provide you then What I've found to be a good structure for the basis of the gospel that Paul is talking about here. Three parts, because three parts is easy to remember, it's good to move through. So, three parts. The first part is the gospel is good news, not good advice. At its heart, the gospel is literally good news. That's what that word means in Greek. I, uh, the word euangelion, I didn't bother spelling it because I have no idea how to spell in Greek, but euangelion, does that trigger some stuff from last summer? we talked a little bit about that word. Literally means good news. It's actually talking about uh, as if there was like a news crier, right? For uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, or Christmas Carol, and somebody saying, extra, extra, I have some news, right, to share for you all. Good news. This word was used 23 times in the Old Testament and 133 times in the New Testament and was always used to literally declare that something was over or you had been rescued from certain peril or certain doom. War kind of imagery. War is over. So let me ask you, how do you react to good news? Think, think of a story or a time that you heard some really, some really, really good news. The one that always comes to my mind as an example is when Canada won the gold medal in the 2010 Olympics. That was awesome, right? I was out on the streets, honking horns. People would just parked their cars wherever. We were smashing pots. People were throwing stuff up in the air. It was an awesome time. But even maybe, uh, what about a time when you got some news that you had recovered from a disease that had a terminal, uh, yeah, terminal disease? Really good news. How do you celebrate from that? Birth of a baby. When our baby was born, and it was a, a C-section, so we were in the operating room. And uh, whole, you know, doctors and nurses and just a whole big moment. Deep down, Leslie and I both really wanted a girl. It, not even that secret. We, we were just hoping for a girl, right? But we didn't know. And then when it's all said and done, the surgeon holds up the baby and says, look what you got. But in the heat of the moment and there's this clear screen, it's kind of cloudy. I was like, I don't know. I can't. I'm not a doctor. You tell me. And they said, it's a girl. Oh, we are super excited. And then we actually thought, like, I wonder what our response would have been. Like, I hope we wouldn't have been disappointed if it was a boy. <laughs> what about, for all you Marvel fans out there, Avengers Endgame? Right when Iron Man finally won. when Yeah, sweet. There's a oh, couple. There we go. Good. I saw that movie like three times. I told everyone about it. Uh, specifically, though, what Paul's talking about here, the... The biblical idea of gospel is good news, like at such an extreme level, we have these like small ideas of what good news is. He was talking about like war is over. Like you were on the brink of being destroyed and now it's gone. You've been rescued. Something outside has come in to save the day. And Paul actually uses this, the play on words good news a little bit, uh, where he's saying uh, you're turning to a different gospel, which isn't actually any gospel at all. He's saying you're, you're finding this other stuff that's good news and it's not actually good news at all. You're, you're mistaking what is good news, what's worth listening to. Um, we do this a lot. We confuse news, good news, uh, things that we should be focusing on and just take on all sorts of other statements. In fact, I think one of the favorite things the devil likes to do is actually get us focused on bad news and mistaking that as something important to focus on and follow all the time. We're addicted to bad news. A perfect example is most of what we talk about, most of what I hear responses of is whatever new restrictions are in. and now gathering. It's been two years of this update, this update, this update, right? We talk about if this country did this with the vaccines and the mask things here. It's always something bad news we're so fixated on. I think the devil loves the fact that we're so distracted we no longer see the good news happening in our world, let alone the good news, the gospel that we're talking about here. A second point to this too, so the, it, the gospel is good news, not good advice. Primarily what it's saying is that the gospel isn't a way of life. It's literally just the good news. The, what it's good news about is Jesus, and the way of life comes after it's following Jesus that's a way of life. That's why that's our primary focus as our mission statement as a church, following Jesus. That's where the stuff comes. But a good quote from author and scholar D.A. Carson Uh, is like this, so listen to this. Because the gospel is news, good news, in fact, it needs to be announced. That is what somebody does with good news. The essential heraldic element in preaching is bound up with the fact that the core message is not a code of ethics to be debated, still less a list of aphorisms to be admired and pondered, and definitely not a systematic theology to be outlined. Even though it can ground all of these things, it's news that points towards it, um... It is none of these things. In fact, it is good news and just needs to be shared and announced with joy. So the good news is good news, not good advice. Second piece is, it is good news that we have been saved. Two points here to focus on. One is that we, this is a collective statement, good news that we have been saved. God sent his son Jesus to die for all mankind, friends and enemies, people you love and people who drive you nuts. It's collective because we all too often point fingers all around. And if you get the first part of what the gospel is wrong, that is good news. Instead, you think that it's good advice. It's a list of stuff and code of conduct. You get all too good at pointing your finger at people who are not following the code of conduct instead. And what this is saying is that's not the point. It's good news. And we're all part of that. We're all recipients of the good news that we have been saved. Now, this is the part that sometimes can rub the world wrong, that can rub us wrong. Because what being saved implies is that we need saving. It's a key piece of the gospel message that often doesn't feel good to hear, especially when you're unaware that there's something wrong. But there is something wrong in the world. There's been something wrong. This is core to Christianity, to the gospel, that there's been something wrong for a long time. Since the Garden of Eden, we are living in a world of suffering and evil and hate and racism and war and death. And we chose this. We chose sin. We chose to step away from God, chose sin, and we consistently continue to choose this, and it enrages God. It's a mess. So what we're saved from is we're saved from being given over to this world, to the chaos, to the evil. We're saved from the results of God correcting this chaos and this evil. We often get this idea of saved wrong when we think of it as a horizontal relationship, that I'm saved from, you know, it'll improve my friendships and my family, and it'll save me from addictions and all this, the earthly stuff. But actually, the core of the gospel here is it's saved vertically. It's saving us to be reconciled and restored into a proper relationship with God. So the last part there, too. So the good news is what has been done for us by Jesus. It has been done. This is what I want to focus on. It's been done. It has been done for us by Jesus. 1 John 3.14 says, We have passed from death to life, not past seeing. It's not something far off that still needs to happen. It's something that has happened. This is good news about what Jesus did. Now, for some of you who read ahead all the time, you've gone further in the Bible, there's more to come. But the point of the gospel message is it's something that Jesus has done. An example for how this plays out, how the misunderstanding of this can actually play out a lot is uh, with baptism. We invite people into baptism. Uh, I've had conversations where it is suggesting and bringing people towards this next step in a faith decision in their walk with Jesus in their relationship. Uh, and why not? It's a call from Jesus to get baptized after all. But responses often come out as like, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough yet. No, I still need to fix these things in my life. What that is is evidence that you're still thinking of this as something that you have to do, but the gospel message isn't about you. It's about what Jesus has done. See, it sounds like modesty, but actually what it is is a lie from the enemy, from the devil, distracting you that you're not good enough. If I had to be good enough... And don't get me wrong, I'm always trying, I'm always striving after conviction from the Holy Spirit to get better and improve in my life. But if I had to be good enough just to be up here and be sin-free for 24 hours, whatever, 12 hours even, I wouldn't be up here. But it's something that has been done for us already. So that's three markers for the gospel, how to identify it. That is good news, not good advice. That it is good news announcing we have been saved. And that is good news about what Jesus has done for us. It kind of builds on each other. So how can we then take that and now look for markers of authenticity to kind of identify counterfeit gospels that Paul is talking about here, gospels that we start listening to, that we trade off for when he's saying, don't focus on these other things that people are trying to distract you from. So I've got three more. Three's good. Three markers for authenticity about the gospel, markers to find out what's genuine and where the counterfeit gospels are. Counterfeits are fake. So the first one is an upside down gospel. The first shall be last. It's a term that uh, comes straight out of the majority of Jesus' preaching and teaching and how Paul talks about the gospel too. Uh, Luke 6.20, so Jesus looking at his disciples said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are in sorrow, who are weeping now, for you will laugh. See, ideas of race, class, hierarchy, wealth, success... Status. These are all markers of a counterfeit gospel that is super prevalent in our world and it seeps into our churches. It seeps into Christians' lives constantly. It seeps into my life. What it is is thinking that what we have done is earned the good stuff in our life. We have earned our way. We deserve stuff. The good news, the gospel message had nothing to do with your accomplishments, with what you've done, with what you've earned. And this actually bothers people. Suddenly the good news isn't quite so good news. That's why not everyone likes to accept it. Because what it says is that you actually have to abandon all of that. There's several examples even throughout the Bible where Jesus would present the good news and people say, I, I'm not leaving behind what I've worked towards. See, some of you think that you're still very powerful in life, but the good news is only good if you actually realize you're weak. The good news, some of you think that you're winners. In life, but the good news is only good if you realize that you're actually a loser, that you're not winning and triumphing over this, that, and the other thing, uh, there's Jesus and there's you as a sinner and he's done everything. Some of you think that you're rich and that you've earned everything, but the gospel says you're poor and actually those who are poor in an earthly sense are actually the ones who are going to be wealthy because they need the gospel. See, the gospel is good news to those that the world has abandoned because what it says is that Jesus has not abandoned them. The second point is inside out. In Paul's words, the gospel is not a matter of eating and drinking, stuff that you do externally, but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in your heart. Something we'll never get away from in church, just in, in the religious world in general, is a criticism of hypocrisy. And that happens because a religious worldview ultimately creates code of conduct and systems of rules and ethics and things that we have to follow, but we'll never fully be able to follow them. Not every time, at least. Some of these rules and ideas are really good. They guide us and give us kind of some fences and borderlines, but we end up worshiping a gospel that looks like a list of rules and and that's not the gospel message. Even if we could follow every single rule every single minute of every day, that's not the gospel. That doesn't save us. That's just a bunch of stuff that we're trying to do. Here's a perfect example, and this one's going to hit kind of hard because I think it's, it's personal and it's really applicable right now. See, some of you have been staying away from getting involved into stuff like church ministry, into outreach ministry, community groups, uh, some family dinners maybe, for quite a while now using an excuse of staying and, and justified of staying safe, staying away from people, away from the disease, to stay healthy, to stay safe, and all of that. But you're also heading out to the mall and to Home Depot to get whatever things. You're going to Ricky's restaurant, right? You can head off to whatever other gatherings. You start picking and choosing and realizing that this is actually fairly hypocritical. See, the rules you've made cannot be followed fully. That's where our hearts often get, lead us astray into all of that. There's always holes when we try to make the external, what's on the outside of us, our whole being. The counterfeit gospel mistakes all the guidance in scripture and from the prophets from the old testament and all the statements from jesus which are designed to bring us closer to god instead we pick and choose and find rules and systems that we can use to oppress other people and to take control of the world around us but we've missed the point the point is that vertical relationship again not the horizontal of us and god we say stuff like dress this way talk this way eat this food and don't post that don't watch these things we fill our heads, it consumes us, and we can't actually focus on the heart and the outside with all these rules, and we just spend all of our time tidying up and renovating the outside and painting the fascia while the inside is rotting. Words straight from Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and wickedness, they're dirty. You foolish people, did you not Did not the one who made the outside, God, also make the inside So now, as for what's on the inside, tidy it up. Start being generous to the poor and caring for people. The counterfeit gospel will tell you that you can act and earn your way in this life just by your actions. But the gospel says that God knows your heart and knows that what starts in your heart reflects on the outside. And last key marker for authenticity is forward and back that the gospel that Paul has preached, that Jesus has presented, the good news, has this idea forward and back. Is this already but not yet. Kind of this big theological idea. It's a little bit bizarre of a, a complex mystery, but the bottom line is that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but we aren't there yet. We're still here on earth, living our lives, mortal, all that, kind of in a weird limbo. There's this promise of a coming triumphant victory and end, but we're still kind of here waiting This is core to the gospel too because it's this strange reality. We're living under a king kind of in a foreign land. I've heard it said one way that's really good. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, but we're residents in the empire of the world. See, the counterfeit gospel here is the most dangerous and the most prevalent in our world because what the counterfeit gospel here says is that statements like this. You must have heard these ones before. You're perfect just the way you are. That's not a statement in the Bible, by the way. You don't need to change, you just need to be more of yourself. Just be who you are. Imagine telling a depressed teenager or somebody, a young adult, who's just completely consumed by the things happening in their world, saying, you don't need to change, you're, you're perfect the way you are, you're fine. When all that person actually is saying, like, I, just, I need an explanation, I need a goal, I need to know that there's something better on the outside, I need to be uh, guided Instead of just being validated, saying that me and my being a wreck of depression and anxiety is perfectly fine, but the message of the world is so strong, saying that we can just make everything better. We will create a utopia. We'll make everything perfect here. The gospel says we actually have to depend on God, that there's something greater, that there's a coming fulfillment of it. As Christians, we follow the guidance and teaching of Jesus, while we're here on this earth, Jesus calls us to fight oppression and seek justice and advocate for the voiceless because that's God's will for us. It's also God's will for himself that at the end, he will ultimately overcome all of this. So the counterfeit gospel will let us think that things are fine the way they are or that we can make them fine. We don't need Jesus' return. We don't need that final complete victory. The gospel keeps us instead focused on the, both the coming of Jesus, the final battle, and of recurrent needs of our world, of the kingdom. We're trying to bring the kingdom into this empire constantly by outworking God's love and compassion. We're his hands and feet. So we help the sick and we feed the hungry and we give whatever we've got in terms of time and money and talents. The bottom line with authenticity versus the counterfeit is the gospel, authentic gospel will always keep us rubbing against the grain of the world, not fall in line with it in an easy way. These three markers of authenticity, upside down, inside out, forward and back, um, will keep us lined up there. And I want to go just at the end of the verse there too. In verse 9 in Galatians, Paul finishes by saying, as we've already said it, he's, being on, he's going on repeat here. I'll say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There's an encouragement I want to leave with you all here. What Paul is saying here is that the punishment, the curse, his focus, is actually not on people who've fallen prey to counterfeits. He's not victim-shaming here. He's actually swearing a curse on those who are preaching it and proclaiming it and pushing these counterfeits forward as authentic. You're not punished for being led astray. Your calling, instead, is to learn how to di- differentiate the true gospel and then announce that and share that, because that's the point of good news as you proclaim it. So, in a book I'm reading right now by Timothy Keller called Center Church, there's an excerpt I found I want to read to you just as we end here and focus on if there's anything here that resonates with you that is just a perfect example of the counterfeit gospels in the world versus what the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ says. So, the counterfeit gospel says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. This is super normal to us, right? This is how you participate in clubs and societies and stratas and families and some churches and religions and restaurants. But the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. The counterfeit gospel says, I obey God in order to get things from God. Super popular, the health and wealth gospel The ones that are preached all over that say, get into this thing of Christianity and stuff will go better for you and you'll get better jobs and things will be rich and you'll get a nice car. That's not true. In fact, when you read the Bible in the words of Jesus, expect it to be harder. The gospel says, I obey God to get God. I delight in him and I want to resemble him. I'm made in the image of God, so I want to look more like him. The counterfeit gospel says, my motivation is based on fear and insecurities, The genuine gospel says, I am secure because Jesus has done the work. My motivation is based on joy and thanksgiving. The counterfeit gospel says, when I'm criticized, I am furious or devastated because it's essential for me to think of myself as a good person. I do so many good things. I try so hard. But the gospel of Jesus says, when I'm criticized, it sucks. I struggle, but my identity is not built on my performance, but on God's love for me. The counterfeit gospel says my prayer life consists largely of petition and it only really heats up when I need stuff. My main purpose of praying is just to control everything around me. But the gospel says my prayers are of praise and adoration. My main purpose is to just be with God. The counterfeit gospel says my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And I look down on others who don't try as hard as I do, who don't put in the same effort But the gospel says my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for everyone, even my enemies and for me. So I can't look down on those who Jesus loves. The counterfeit gospel says when circumstances in my life are going wrong, I get angry at God and at myself because I believe I deserve better. The genuine gospel says I deserve to be given over to my sin, to my evil impulses, to this world, to this world's ways but instead there's good news that Jesus died for my sins, for the evils in this world, and I am saved here and now and for the coming future. Amen. I'm going to pray for us as we end. Dear Heavenly Father, counterfeit gospels are in our world constantly. God, they seep in the amount of times that we think that we're so close to you. And we're actually distracted away from you. And I think that's one of the biggest markers, God. When we start thinking we're close to you, but we feel so far away when we can't hear you, God, I think that's because the counterfeit gospels are in our life. God, I pray that you help us identify places where we have let cheap replicas come in, replace our true relationship with you. God, I pray for anyone who is out there who's been completely bought in by a counterfeit gospel, God, by statements of the world that you have to do stuff that you need to be a certain way in order to accept your salvation. God, that you let the message of your actual gospel, your genuine message ring through and true. The good news is that you sent your son Jesus to die for all of us and we're all part of that. God, that you have done the work already. God, I just pray as we go here from this day uh, that you encourage us to be able to quickly identify the fakes out there, to focus on your word. God, as Paul's letters to the Galatians here, that we can... Be reminded of the fact that there's one true message and all this other noise in the world we need to criticize, that we need to actually take and move through and study and discern between and not just believe whatever's coming in. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Have a great week.